modern day church where rock music and slick feel good sermon and the doctrine completely. Well, let me tell you how it all started because the preacher uh, really came to the conclusion that holiness needed to be preached in his churches and churches like his uh, based on a trip to Israel. And you say, that sounds rather strange. I haven't gone on my trip to Israel yet, so maybe I'll come back and I'll, I'll preach on holiness or something. But anyway, let me tell you what happened. He said, a couple of years ago, he wrote, I visited Israel with a group of Christian journalists. For me, the highlight of the trip wasn't a place. Amir. Amir was in his late 50s, stocky, with skin that looked like leather from leading trips through the Holy Land for three decades. At each site, Amir would seek out an isolated spot. He'd gather us in a semicircle, and he would expound the historical and theological significance of the site that we were at. Sometimes, he seemed more like a preacher than a tour guide. I remember one talk in particular. With the olives shimmering in the background, Amir described what he saw as the basic problem of the universe. He said, God longs to come down to earth to redeem the righteous and judge the wicked. But there's a problem. He leaned toward us. He stretched out his arms like a scarecrow. And he said, God's presence is like plutonium. Nothing can live when God comes near. If God came to earth, both the righteous and the unrighteous would perish. We would all die. Well, the preacher said, you know, his metaphor struck me as strange. I'd heard God described in all sorts of ways, but plutonium? As I recounted, though, God's uh, interactions with Israel, I wonder if Amir was on to something. He went on in his article, and he said, we evangelicals talk about, about love, and we love to talk about God's love. We, you just drop in in one of our church services and listen. You'll hear worship chorus which drip with the lyrics that border on the romantic. The sermons will gush with assurances of God's affection. While such affirmations are good, we need reminders of God's love. Rarely do we speak of God's majesty. Which about his wrath. I'm afraid among young Christians that this one-sided view of God has become very striking. To many young people, Jesus is a homeboy or a God is a guy upstairs. Talk about divine holiness as legalistic. But the Bible describes God in sobering terms. Among the myriad titles given, he is called a consuming fire the judge of all the earth, the Lord of hosts. These titles portray God as one who is poised for battle at the head of a heavenly army. He then went to Isaiah chapter 6, and he talked about how Isaiah saw God. And when he saw God high and lifted up, he wrote, Isaiah fears he's because he has unclean lips. It seems that the revelation of God is accompanied by an overpowering sense of God's purity and a corresponding awareness of human sinfulness. While this concern for personal holiness is clear in Scripture, 
It's become murky in the church. A pastor, Kevin DeYoung, argues, we have a hole in our holiness. He was not just talking about reality, per se. He was saying that the hole in our holiness in the article to talk more about what Isaiah saw and to challenge people about the matter of holiness, but he really brings home the point that quite honestly needs to be brought out even in churches like ours, which might have a tendency to preach more on the holiness of God, but I think sometimes it's just thing to preach on. Rather than something we allow to change us rather than something that, that ought stir us and ought cause us, if you would, to all before a holy God and realize there are some things that need to be done in our lives. And so this morning, we come to a passage which reminds us that God has given every believer in Jesus Christ a responsibility. And he says it very succinctly in these verses, does he not? He says, but as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You see, it's not just in evangelical churches that the sense of, maybe preaching hasn't stopped, but the sense of and concern about God's holiness hasn't, isn't affecting people. It's in churches like ours as well. We cannot ignore the fact that our God is holy. And we cannot this morning ignore the, ignore the fact either that God has called us to be holy as well. There are five points to ponder this morning from our passage. I want you to see the context, the conflict, the choice, the challenge, and the conclusion. The natural desire I had this morning in preparation for today was to jump into the main point, which is found in verses 15 and 16. But if you're going to jump into the main point of holiness and understand it correctly, you really got to spend time doing the groundwork in the verses that precede it because they have a message for us. And they lead us to this passage and they lead us up to the conclusion, if you would, where God says, be holy for I am holy. So then we begin. Rather than with the challenge of verses 14 to 16, we begin this morning with what I call the context because we need to look at the context. What is being written and what is being said in this passage? What does God want us to learn? It's going to, context is going to tell us why holiness is so important. Now, you could say that it's found actually in our verses because God says, be holy for I am holy. And I guess that would be a simple why, but quite honestly, our passage gives us a little bit more in-depth look at the reason why holiness should be something that consumes your life and my life as a Christian. If you know the Lord is your Savior this morning, you have the command to be holy as your God. And it's my prayer that you'll understand from the context the reason why that is so important for your life. It is important because God is holy, but it's important because of what's written in the verses that precede this. Now, if we're going to understand, again, the passage, we've got to understand all of it. If you look at verses 15 and 16, you'll find that they are part of one sentence. Do you notice that? Now, if you look, you'll find that the sentence actually starts before verse 15. Where does it start? It starts in the verses we had you memorize. We wanted you to memorize a whole sentence. You memorized just one sentence. Did you know that? This last month. I mean, it should have been a piece of cake. 
One sentence. That's all I asked you to memorize this past, this past month. Whole month to memorize this. Okay. All right. It's a long sentence, isn't it? So we have to go back to verse 13, don't we? If we're going to understand the context of verses 15 and 16 and God's call for us to be holy. But notice at the start of verse 15, we have a word right at the start. And the word is? Wherefore. It's not therefore. It's wherefore. But it's actually kind of like the therefore. If you wanted to point it that way, it gives us the same idea. The wherefore points us back to sentences that precede this, to truth that's found before these verses. So verse 13 really doesn't start the thought of, be ye holy, for I am holy. The thought really starts all the way back, and we could keep going back. I'm not going to take a lot of time to do that, but it really starts back in verse 3. Because in verse 3, the writer takes time, Peter takes time to write to people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and explain the wonderful thing that God did for them when they got saved. And that's what it's all about. So the context uh, tells us, first of all, there is something a believer has eternal life. Now, that's something to, to say amen about. Are you awake this morning? All right, that's something to say amen about. If you have eternal life, it's something to, to sing about. It's something to rejoice in. Don't sing this morning. We're not, not right now. You already sang, okay? It's something to rejoice in. It's something to be glad about. And that's what he, how he begins this entire section where he concludes in verse 16, be holy as I am holy. Notice, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Christ, which according to his abundant mercy gotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye rejoice. Now we're going to stop right there. But the context tells us why a Christian should be concerned about being holy. Here's the reason why. God has given you eternal life. There is something you have in your possession right now, and God said in verse 4, it will never fade away. You have it. It is as assured as the fact that you are alive this very moment listening to my voice. Look, it is a reality that God says you can be sure of. You have eternal life. And I want you to know the reason why you have eternal life. Because it's told in verse 3, blessed. Praise, if you would, to God the Father and, and, and of, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God has shown us abundant mercy. I mean, not just mercy. It's not just that God was nice to us. It's that God was abundantly merciful. That God said, look, you deserve hell. You deserve judgment. I'm a holy God. I'm not going to let you into heaven because you're a sinner. And you have to pay for that sin. In fact, those who aren't part of the family of God will spend an eternity in a lake of fire. Joke about it. It is no joke. It is a real place. It is a literal place. And God, God's intent is that it be just for the, the devil and his angels. But unfortunately, there are going to be a lot of people that are there because all men are sinners in the wages of sin is death. But verse 3, 
doesn't focus on that because it's talking to those who have already put their trust in Jesus Christ. If you haven't, you should fear the wrath of God because a holy God will judge sinners. But a holy God said, I love men and I want men to be saved. So I am going to provide a gift that they can't earn, they can't win, they can't, they can't get by anything they do. I am going to offer them the gift of eternal life. Man, that's an amazing truth. That God would say to sinners who deserve wrath because a sinless God will not tolerate sin, that God would say to them, you can have eternal life and would offer it as a free gift is an amazing thing. If God were to say, be holy to be saved, he would have the right to do so. He could tell us to do all sorts of things in order to earn our way to heaven. But God said, I'm offering it as a gift. And he has shown abundant mercy. And it's on that basis, he says, be holy, because I am. I have shown you abundant mercy. I have given you eternal life. No man can take eternal life from you. I offered it freely. All you need to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Don't I at least deserve that? Don't I deserve some effort on your part to live a holy life? The context calls upon every Christian to get serious about the holiness of God. It tells us that we have eternal life because an amazingly merciful God gave us that life. I love the way he puts it. And we don't have time. I wish we could go, we could spend so much time on these verses that precede. Beautiful. They really are. They paint for us a, an amazing picture of a people who were sinful, who are no longer considered that, and who are totally pure and clean before a holy God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And God has begotten us. Those who are saved have been begotten into the family of God. I, I, I became part of another family. I was adopted by and I believe and I have a new family now. And he gave me an inheritance. Man, what inheritance? Streets of gold. Wow, you look at this of heaven talked about in the book of Revelation. You look at, at what God talks about that is to come for believers. Uh, our, our eyes haven't seen, we've never beheld the amazing wonders of heaven. And if the writers, the writers of scripture couldn't even describe how this place is, God has given us this inheritance, the opportunity someday to be with him for all eternity. I mean, again, to take us to be with him. It's an inheritance that's uncorruptible, incorruptible, filed. It fades not away, and it's already reserved in heaven. I have my reservations. Have you ever called a place or gone into a place? And they said, no, you know, you don't have a reservation. I was in one place once. I went in, and, and I expected to be able to sit down. There was hardly anyone there. And, and the guy had a little accident. No reservation, no eat. You know, 
And I can count on that. And I know it's already there for me. God has given it to me. And guess who keeps me? It's not me. By the way, it's not my holiness that does anything to get me to heaven. God saved me and God's keeping me. Verse 5 tells you that. We're kept by the power of God. So when someone says, well, you've got to live a certain way in order to be saved, they're a liar. When someone says, you've got to live a certain way after you're saved in order to keep it, they're a liar. Because God does the saving and God does the keeping, and that is what this passage relates to us. Now, those who believe that you can lose your salvation and that talk like that and would preach those kind of things will also stand up and say, and say something like, uh, uh, you know, well, you got to you gotta earn it. You got you to keep it. You got to keep living the right way. But the, the truth of the matter is this is something God has done. And, and they criticize us for saying such as God has provided it and God is the one who does the keeping, even though the Bible tells us that. They criticize it because they say, well, then it's a license to sin. But our passage says it's not. Our passage says what God has done should motivate us, should drive us. It should grab hold of our heart and say, there's something you should be doing. I should live for God, not because I have to keep my salvation, because I don't. Because he gave me salvation. And that is the call of this passage. That's the context. The verses upon which it's all built start with what a wonderful thing God has done for you. And this really talks about verses 3 through 12, which relate the one God has gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. And he kind of sums it all up in this, in this phrase. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ appears in glory, there's, there's wonderful grace that's going to be shown because I'm going to be taken. Aren't you? If you're part of the God, you will. I'm looking forward to that day. What about you? Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he'll take all those who are part of the family of God, who have been adopted, who have been placed, who have been begotten into the family of God and have that inheritance. He'll take them all to be with him for all eternity. I'm looking forward to that day. What about you? All right, then let's make the connection. An abundantly merciful God has given us heaven, a hope, a home, and that abundantly merciful God said, Be holy, for I am holy. Do you understand the context? I'd like to start with the second thought the conflict. It tells the context tells us why. The tells us when. He said, conflict. I didn't see any conflict. That's because I skipped over those verses. So I want you to see the time in which God called upon believers to be holy. In fact, it's something that I had missed so many times as I've read through this passage. I know, I've heard, be ye holy for I am holy. Haven't you heard preaching on that before? 
We're all familiar with it. But I want you to see the, I want you to see the time in which the conflict that was going on in which God said, be holy. Notice what he said in verse 6. There, didn't I? But go, and ye greatly rejoice for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the time in which Peter wrote these words, by inspiration of God, be holy as I am holy, that the time in which he was asking this of these believers, they were going through fiery trials. Now think about it. When is the time that we let things slack off in life? A lot of times when we're under pressure. Isn't it true? Look, look just in a, in, a, in a purely secular realm, um, you all like to keep your house clean, don't you? Okay, maybe you don't. This, this is perhaps a poor illustration if you're a messy person, but you like to keep your house clean. You know you should dust. You know you need to vacuum. You know you need to clean the bathrooms every once in a while, okay? Now, you may be the kind of person that you wait until, until there's such buildup in the tub that, you know, you can't move around, then you clean it off. All right, I understand that. But the truth of the matter is you know those things need to be done. But, but also, it's a fact, is it not, that if there's a lot of pressures at work or there's a lot of things going on in life, you put those things off. Now, they're important, but you got a lot going on. See, the tendency is, even things that are important sometimes get put on the back burner when life is full of pressure. They were in fiery trials. They were trying them. They were in difficult times. There was great conflict and turmoil in their life. And it was at that time that God said, be holy, for I am holy. Why would God give the command then? I'll tell you, because the tendency is to do the same thing you do with cleaning when the pressures of life are built up. Hey, look, I can leave dusting till next week. I can leave vacuuming. Ah, hey, hey, you know, there's nothing growing in the tub yet. <laughs> you know, there's nothing growing underneath the bed yet. Okay, the, the, the banana peels haven't sprouted, so we're good. No, look, you put off those things, even though they may be important, because you have other things on your plate. And God knows that the tendency in our life, when there's pressure, is to let things slide in our Christian life. Um, it was greatly convicting to me to see verses 6 and 7 in light of the whole passage. And to come to the place where I realized that the time when a lot of times Christians let things slide is the time when they most desperately need to walk with God. So I'm so busy at work, I don't have time to read my Bible today. You ever been there? Oh, I got up late. I got to be somewhere. I don't have time for prayer. I have been working six days this week. I put in 90 hours. I am too tired to go to church. Seriously, have you, you, don't have to, you don't have to nod, yes, I've, I've been there, but haven't, haven't you been there? 
It seems like so often when the pressure is great, that spiritual things seem to kind of just be put on the back burner because, well, I got so much going on. And what God reminds us in this passage is that's the time I got to remind myself. In fact, look at the first phrase of verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Why would he have to tell you that? Because of the conflict of verses 6 and 7. Because this is a time when you're saying, I got so much stress and all these things are coming down on me. And for these Christians, it was for their faith these things were happening. It wasn't because their boss was saying you got to work overtime. But I, I, I'm just trying to make a relation to probably some of the things we think about in our lives. The truth is, when the pressure's on, whether it's coming as persecution for living for God and someone making fun of us at work, or whether it's just the pressures of life and all the things that are going on that, that cause us many times to say, oh, I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to take care of that later. I'm going to maybe not have my Bible reading today, or I'm going to put it off till tonight. Those are the times where I need to gird up the loins of my mind and say, God has said, be holy as he is holy. This is important. By the way, um, God has called us in, in this whole COVID situation to thank To gird up the loins of our mind and say, this is not a time to stop going to church. This is a time when I need church. And, and it, it really is, it's, it's become so clear to me um, when, quite honestly, I understand, I went through the same struggles. Should we, have, should we meet? Well, maybe, maybe we should listen to everything that they're telling us. When, when in, in reality, um, we all should have been saying from the very start, there's nothing more important than being like God. And being like God requires that I listen to his word and I be with God's people and that I grow in grace and I need that now more than any time in life. So the context urges us because of the abundant mercy of God and the eternal life we have. The conflict that's going on, although it may push us to say, oh, look, I, I, I got other things going on and life is hard and this is difficult. It, God says, be holy. By the way, verse 7 is an encouragement in the trial of our faith to re be reminded and to gird up the loins of our mind. Holy. You know why? When our faith is tried, like gold, it's more precious than gold that perishes because when it's tried with fire, it will be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And he's coming again. He's coming again. Thank you. He is. And so we should live in light of that truth because living for God in the midst of the conflict is the, the, ooh, the shining glory and the crown that we'll have to present, if you would, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he comes to say, Lord, I kept striving to be holy, and you know. And where do you think you get those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, from? The trials. 
what's going on in my life. So the conflict tells us when. The choice tells us how. Now, verse 15, where gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto of Jesus Christ. God tells us here in verse 13, we need to make a choice. Look, every conflict is an opportunity. Every conflict is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to say, God is more important to me than life. It's an opportunity for me to say, I need God more than any time in life. It's an opportunity for me to, to look at the circumstances of life and say, I cannot Forsake my Lord, he's more important than these things. The struggles of life give us the opportunity. In fact, they, uh, they force us to make a choice. Which way am I going to go? Now, someone might say, well, if I didn't have all this pressure, I would be living for God. God doesn't allow you to say that. God says, because of this pressure, you should be living for me. God doesn't say, oh, I understand. You've had a lot of pressure. You had a lot of things, and it's, it's been a tough time. And so I, I understand. No, God says, gird up the loins of your mind. Okay, pull your thoughts together here, people. That, that's the way we would put it. Your, your mind is saying, I got to take care of this fire, and I got to take care of this problem, and I got to deal with this, and man, I might have to do that. Ah. And God says, get a grip. And your mind and your thoughts, and focus them on what's most important, your relationship with me, because I'm coming again. And you're going to give account, and you want to be joy. choice has to be made. And here's the encouraging thing. You can make it. That's what this passage reveals. That I can be going through the fiery trial of life and I can still be holy. I can make the right choices. I can still go to church. I can still read my Bible. I can still pray. I just have to make the choice to do it. I have to gird up the loins of my mind and be serious-minded. I got a job. I have a responsibility. My merciful, gracious God, who's coming again, who will reward me if I'll do what's right. That God says, be holy, because I am holy, and I'm going to make the right choice today. And quite honestly, that choice, that girding up the Lord's your mind happens all the time in fiery trials, doesn't it? Come on, seriously, there's a lot of challenges. There may be challenges at work. Are you going to live for God? Are you going to stand up for God? Are you going to do what's right? I, I don't know. I have some coworkers giving you a hard time. Every conflict is an opportunity for you to choose to be like the battle. Really, that's going on. It's a battle in my mind. Am I going to continue to live for God or am I going to lay aside the faith, my faith, and just kind of go my own way and do my own thing? We have to take the thought our mind that are that would would lead us away from God bind them up throw them away and say I'm going to walk with God no matter what what he does though he slay me yet will I trust in him 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to do to serve God. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's hard. Every conflict, though, opportunity. It's an opportunity for me to say, for giving me eternal life. for the abundant mercy you've shown and for the promise of rewards even though I don't deserve anything. So God, I'm going to live for you through all of this because you deserve my best. That's your choice. And that brings us to the challenge. We're finally there. The challenge tells us what? So verse 14 begins it, really, when he says, as obedient children. you got to really stop right there because we don't see a lot of obedient children anymore, but that's probably because people just disciplining their kids. But the fact of the matter is you expect kids to obey, don't you? I mean, in general. You know how we know we expect kids to obey? Because... If a kid's acting up at Walmart and you're looking at the whole scene and the mom looks up at you, they might say something like this, terrible twos, right? Right? Okay, what are they telling you? I have an excuse for my kid not obeying. Here's the reason why they say it, seriously, because you expect their kid to obey. And quite honestly, they know their kids should obey because children are supposed to obey their parents. Now, I know they're not taught that anymore in schools and other places. Okay, but that's what God expects, and that's how God designed it in the first place. And if they're not, you got work to do. And quite honestly, that means every parent has work to do. And I know I've been there, so I'm not just, I'm not berating you. I've been there. I've been there three times. And they were, uh, they were plenty of challenges throughout life. They are. But here's the fact. You expect children to obey because, well, that's what children are supposed to do. And God uses that picture in your mind that children are supposed to obey. And he says, that's how you should, you should be in this matter of holiness, like an obedient child. Now, don't you love to see an obedient child? Don't, don't you love it where where you see some kid, maybe they're starting to act up a little bit or they're doing something here at church or maybe they're, they're at a store or something like that. Parent says, come over here. And the child stops what they're doing and they come by the side of their parent. You, you ever seen that? Say, miracle! No, 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 you've seen that. I'll tell you something, you appreciate it, don't you? Uh, in fact, if I saw that in a store, I would probably say something to the parent. Because that shows good parents. And it's a terrible thing to see when a child obeys. It's a terrible thing to see when a child doesn't obey. Isn't it? No one's happy. It's not just mom and dad that aren't happy. When I'm at Walmart, if some kid's pitching a fit about not getting, the, you know, the candy that they, they, the six candy bars they grabbed and they were ready to start eating, you know, and, and they're pitching a fit about it. It's, you know, it's the, it's the lady or the man at the register. It's, it's, it's me. It's all the people around. No one wants to hear that. And yet, here's the truth. 
that probably, in reality, there may even be some people in this morning that are like bratty kids before a holy God. <coughs> when there should be in this room 40, whatever, how many ever, he's going to give me numbers, all right, no, I don't, I'm not worried about that. Whatever the number is in this room, there should be a bunch of obedient children by the side of their master today. Now, we can understand, isn't that a great word picture? Isn't, isn't that a picture of mine? Okay, so the question asked this morning ourselves is, does God see me as an obedient child? Or would he see me this morning pitching a fit in the aisle of the store? Isn't that, seriously, we can, we can imagine that, can't we? So the question you need to ask yourself is, how does God see me today? And the choice that I need to make is, as I come to this challenge, I want to be an obedient child. When my Lord says, come, when my Lord says, stop, I want to stop. When my Lord says, go, I want to go. If my Lord says, don't go there, I don't want to go there. If my Lord says, don't say that, I don't want to say that. I want to be an obedient child. What a great illustration. What a great way to bring out this challenge. As an obedient child, I want to be... Then he says in verse... Uh, 14, something else. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. That word fashioning yourselves is actually really closely related, and we could find it probably in using Romans 12, 1 and 2, where God says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It really is a great parallel passage, and it, it kind of gives us the same idea. I am not to conform to be fit to the mold of this world. I'm not to live the way I used to live before I was saved, which, by the way, then tells us we're not living to be saved. We're, we're living this way because only God has called us to it, and he's done so much for us. And so I need to have the kind of attitude that says, I am not going to be what I used to be. Now, isn't it great you don't have to be what you used to be? When I hear people talk about what God has done for them and, and I see what God has done in their lives, they often say, you know, man, I, I look back now and I look at my life and I say, man, I was miserable. Okay, so God says, don't go back to the misery. Don't go back to the things the way you used to live. You don't have to anymore. Be holy as I am holy. So make a choice not to conform. Make a choice to be like a child, obedient child, and make a choice not to conform to the old sinful way. Uh, don't, don't fit yourself into the mold of the way you used to be. Get out of that mold. You know, just refuse to be poured in the mold and cooked. Conform to your old way of living. Don't follow the lust of your flesh, but live for the one who's called you. And so be obedient children. Keep from conforming. And sorry, can't come up with a C. Be holy. I, I, there's no other way to put it. Be holy. Um, a lot of times 
when we talk about the matter of holiness, there's a, a human nature tendency to say, I'm okay. What is extremely challenging about our text today is that God lays on us the standard for holiness. And what's challenging about it is that no one measures up. So that, I don't care how long you've been saved, I don't care how holy you are today, if we had an invitation saying, do you need to be holy, there's no one that shouldn't be down the aisle. Hey, maybe we're going to do that this morning. Maybe that would be the invitation. Everyone's going to have to come forward because you need to be more holy. See, what is, uh, is really challenging about our is that God puts the standard as himself, and he says, if you don't yet measure up, you got work to do. So what I'm preaching today, everyone needs. It doesn't matter if you've been saved 40 or 50 years or 60 years. It doesn't matter if you've been saved a week. You need this message because the one who called you is holy, and he's totally pure, and he's totally sinless, and you aren't there yet. I can say that assuredly because I'm not there and because no one is there and no one will ever get there. And so we always have work to do. We always have some progress to make. There's always going to be some area in life that I can improve upon. And that is the challenge. By the way, children are perfect. They may do. You may have a well-behaved child who blows it at times. I, I won't ask you to raise a hand if you ever had that happen. That you've been disciplining, you've been working with, but you know what? They blow it. And so do we in the matter of holiness. Now, that doesn't give us an excuse. That doesn't say, well, I'll never be there. God doesn't say, hey, yeah, well, even though you'll never be there. No, God says, look, I'm holy and I'm putting myself up as a standard because if I put anyone else up, there would be people who would justify themselves. But there would. There would, you know. Ah, if it's Brother Umstead, there'd be people that justify themselves. I'm better than Brother Umstead. I mean, his wife would be saying that. <laughs> I got to stop this. I'm going to have to pick on Brother Diaz, I think, or something like that. We got to change it. No, no, here's, here's the truth. If we put any man, if we put any person, we put anything as a standard, we would have a tendency, because our human nature is this way, to say, I'm okay. But when, but this morning, when we, when we put God on the throne, high and lifted up, a, a pure, spotless, holy God of heaven and earth who has never sinned. And we say, this is your standard. And all of us this morning, should be saying, I've got work to do. In what ways am I not like him? And that, my friends, is the challenge. To not excuse ourselves, to say this is unimportant, but this morning the challenge is to say, God has done so much for me. He's coming again. 
I'm going to give account and he'll reward me if I'll seek to live for him. And no matter what conflict is going on in my life, no matter what struggle is going on in my life, I need to be holy. Not as holy as, as Mr. Farrington. Not as holy as, as Mr. Ross or Mrs. Ross. But as holy as God. And until I'm there, I've got work to do. That is the conclusion of the matter. Be ye holy as I am holy. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I said it just a short while ago, 